So um, we're continuing uh, our series called Big Questions, Biblical Answers, going through questions uh, given by y'all about questions about uh, faith, Christianity, things that maybe you've seen online, questions you've personally had um, that have posed. And so this week and next week are going to be both around the, the topic of mental health. And so tonight's question is, is having anxiety and or depression a sin? Is having anxiety and or depression a sin? And so um, I know for me personally, this is, a, this is a personal topic for me because my wife deals with this. Um, and there might be some of you that you know of someone, whether it be a family member, a friend. Uh, maybe you are wondering yourself, am I dealing with this? And so we just want to wrestle with this together through the truth of Scripture, of what does Scripture have to say towards mental illness. So before we start, I just want to have just a few kind of statistics about, okay, how prevalent is mental illness in America? And so here's just a few stats that some of you might see on your notes. So for example, one in five adults experience mental illness each year. So one in five adults. One in ten people experience a panic attack at some stage in their life. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. Or this one, one in six youth in the United States. So one in six youth, age six to 17. So that would would encompass just about everyone in this room. Experience mental health disorder each year. So one in six, one in six youth experience mental health disorder. 50% of lifetime Lifetime mental illnesses begin by age 14 and 75% by the age 24. So mental illnesses affects so many of us. It affects so many of us. And so we just want to be able to look through Scripture of how to graciously navigate through this. And so I kind of want to explain the difference between, let's say, being anxious and having anxiety, like having an anxiety disorder, okay? So one way we can describe this is like how we respond to stress. So one example of, let's say, how we respond to stress of being anxious might be just being stressed out over just one particular thing at a particular time. So for example, some of us might be going through tests. It could be starting a new job. It could be entering into a new season of life after we graduate. It could be moving. And we get a little bit stressed out. We're a little bit anxious over that. Having, and so we're only stressed out. We're only anxious in that particular time for that moment, whether it be a couple days or a week. But having anxiety... Being, having anxiety disorders where you are anxious almost, if not all the time, and you cannot just pinpoint the source of why you're dealing with this anxiety. You can't pinpoint, why am I feeling this way? Why does it feel like this, this fear of the future or under attack or anything? So being anxious might be just, so being anxious now would be maybe an isolated incident in response to a particular situation. And it doesn't go beyond that. While, let's say having an anxiety disorder could be this intense feeling that might lead you to refuse to go to social gatherings or you might have symptoms such as trouble sleeping or fidgeting. And so these are just some of the things, just kind of a couple things to kind of differentiate between being anxious and having anxiety. And so first of all, I, I want to let you know from up front, okay, if you are dealing with anxiety or depression, is to let someone know, let someone come alongside you and help you with this. That us as a church, we're here to help you. We want to come alongside you. We want to see you grow in your relationship with Christ. And that if we're in Christ, we are a family. We want to care for one another on this. 
But also, even more importantly than that, just if, if you, let's say, are dealing with anxiety or depression or know someone that's dealing with anxiety or depression, so much so to the point where maybe they're having suicidal thoughts is that you definitely need to let someone know at that point. Or to call the suicide hotline that's open 24 hours. That that is open to y'all. So that's just something I want us to know. So we, as a church, want to be able to help you in any way we can. We want to help pay for several sessions at Branches Counseling, if that's the case, too. So that's just one from my heart before we jump in. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into seeing what does the Bible have to say about mental illness. So let's pray first and then jump in, okay? Dear Lord, we just come before you as fallen, sinful human beings in desperate need of your grace as we just wrestle with this topic that can be so sensitive and that can affect so many different people. Lord, I, I humbly confess I'm, I'm totally incapable of being able to, to communicate these truths without the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you just help me be able to clearly communicate these? God, every word and every action and every step. Also, Holy Spirit, would you just open up all of our minds? Would you just purify all of us of any pride that we might have and humble us so that we can open up our minds to understand these truths, open up our ears to hear these truths, open up our eyes to see more of our need for Christ and see those around us that, that might be dealing with this or suffering with this. That you would give us the love to respond to these. And would you just open up our hearts to be able to encourage us with truths or maybe to convict us of sins we need to repent of and just better equip us to become followers of Christ you've called us to be, a family of God you've called us to be. Help us continue to make Christ's name known and show that the gospel speaks to all, even such things as mental illness as we'll tackle tonight. So we pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. So there, is, there are several truths that we will be looking at tonight that, to answer this question. So the first truth that we will see is this, is that mental illness is not a result of personal sin. The mental illness is not a result of personal sin. And so a passage that you see in your notes uh, that I would want us to point to is in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus is walking with his disciples and they come across this blind man who's been blind since birth. And this is what it says in the passage. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So kind of as contextually with this, it was common at this time for people to think, okay, whatever happens, whatever circumstances people were in, it was a direct result from someone sinning. So they thought, okay, if someone's blind, then obviously they must have sinned or their parents must have sinned. They got passed on to them. And so this is what the disciples are thinking. And Jesus is trying to turn their thinking around on this. And he's saying, though, that it's, that it's neither one of these. It's not because of the parents' sin or because this guy sinned. It's that the works of God might be displayed in and through this person. And so this should be an encouragement for anyone that might be suffering with mental illness, that God can use anyone for his glory, that, that God can use anyone regardless of what they're suffering with. A quote from James Dobson, he says, nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. And so that includes having a mental illness. So having anxiety or depression, it, it's, it's not as of a personal sin. And also it does not disqualify someone from being a Christian. 
it does not disqualify someone from being used by God. In fact, we see in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, just as all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. Not all who confess that have their lives together, or all who confess we're not dealing with X, Y, or Z. It just says hey, all who confess and come to Christ. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it says, hey, all who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. It doesn't say all who have all their lives together. It doesn't say all who are squeaky clean. It doesn't say all who, are, who, are, who have a spotless resume. It just says, come all and yoke ourselves with Christ and he will give us rest. Because I don't want to say, it's not personal sin. It's not, okay, if I commit this sin, then obviously I'm going to have this happen to me. It's not, oh, oh, because I said a lie, now I'm wrestling with this. And so this kind of enters into where we got to be careful. We want to avoid extremes when it comes to talking about mental illness. And so there's at least two extremes that some people might go to when they talk about mental illness. And so one of them might be, okay, it's strictly physical. Like mental illness, all of it is totally physical, so we just need to give them a whole bunch of medication and they'll be totally fine. That we'll just give them a whole bunch of medication and then they'll be all good to go. But studies have demonstrated that the brains of many (coughs) depressed patients have a different chemistry and circuitry compared to people with good mental health and emotional health. And the second extreme we need to avoid is that it's all spiritual. So that, okay, if someone's dealing with anxiety or depression, it might be uh, a demon possession or it could be, oh, they just have a lack of faith. Or, or it could be maybe, okay, they must have sinned, so they need to repent of that sin, and then the anxiety or depression will go away. Sometimes even in depression not caused by sinful conduct, people can adopt unhelpful attitudes and sinful behavior patterns, which should be sympathetically addressed and corrected. And so, not all, so when it says not a result of personal sin, is that it's not a result of personal sin. Now, yes, there are exceptions where people might have a bunch of sinful patterns that lead them to this point. So I'm not going to exclude that. But overall, I would say mental illness is not a result of personal sin. So we would not approach, let's say, this spiritual thing. Well, obviously they must be sinning, so they just need to repent and they'll be fine. Well, we wouldn't have the same approach, let's say, with someone with cancer or Alzheimer's. We wouldn't think, well, they must have sinned and have that, so they just need to repent and they'll be okay. Is that we should handle this just as we would someone with cancer or heart disease or Alzheimer's. We want to handle it graciously with this. So the first truth we want to see is that mental illness is not a result of personal sin. But truth number two is that mental illness is a result of Adam's sin. That mental illness is a result of Adam's sin. And so where I want to look at is in Romans 8, 18 through 23, talks about how once the sin of Adam entered the world, once the fall of man in Genesis 3 happened, sin came into the world and it infected and impacted everything in creation, including us as human beings. And so here's what it says in Romans 8, 18 through 23. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so ever since the fall of man, sin came into the world and it's infected and impacted everything. And so why would it not impact one of the most complex systems that we have, which is our brain? Why would it not impact that in different ways for us to be able to wrestle with that together? And so we are made of body and soul, and so anxiety and depression could be a result of the fall, and it could be intertwined both physically and spiritually. And so what I want you to know from this is that having anxiety and depression in and of itself is not a sin. Having anxiety and or depression is not a sin. Now, that might, that having anxiety and depression might lead to sins, It might lead to sinning in that, but it is not in and of itself a sin, okay? There's many people that have a genetic disposition to depression, perhaps traceable back to their parents' genes. It's not that it's their parents' sins, or it's not because of the result of the parents or their spiritual lives, but genetics. Or others with no genetic disposition to depression can fall into it, often as a reaction to traumatic life events that they've experienced or gone through. So anxiety and depression usually does have serious consequences on our spiritual life and can affect our spiritual life, but it is not necessarily caused by our spiritual life, okay? Is everybody tracking with me on that? Are you with that? So it's not a result, it's not a result of our spiritual life, but anxiety and depression can affect our spiritual life. So we should assume kind of the same default position with someone suffering from anxiety and depression as well with someone maybe with short-sightedness or diabetes or heart disease or a broken leg. They want to treat them holistically. They want to care for their entire being. So correct position we could have is that there is a chemical imbalance in the brain that could be a result of that. And so that could result if they might need medication to help them with that. They might need counseling with other things. There might be some sins they do need to repent of. But, but an incorrect position that we should have is that an incorrect position that we should not have is that depression is merely fiction, or that it's just a delusion, or that's something made up. That it's something there's many people they suffer and deal with, and so we want to handle holistically with them. So the truth number two is that mental illness is a result of Adam's sin. The third truth I want to see is that there's other people in Scripture who have dealt with mental illness. There's other people in Scripture who have dealt with mental illness. Now, it's not gonna, it might not directly say they've had anxiety or they've had depression, but it might show in through some of these details that, that they experience symptoms of anxiety and depression. And so some of these we see that have listed out as, is Moses in Numbers 11, 14, where he says, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Or Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, 7 and 16, she talks about she couldn't even eat. And she spoke out about her anxiety in dealing with that. Or Jeremiah, in both Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18, and Lamentations 3, 1 through 6, it said he is grieving so much that he wished he wasn't even born. That he said, when they told my dad that they were going to have a child, just, I, I grieve the fact that, that I was that child. He's grieving the fact that he wishes he was never even born. Or Elijah, in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. So Elijah is on the run from Jezebel. Jezebel just killed a bunch of people. He's saying, she's basically saying, you're next. And so he's, he's scared. He's running off scared to the point where he is scared for his life and tells God that he's just, God, I just, I just want to die. I just, I, this is too overwhelming for me. 
And God sends an angel to give him food and tells him to rest. That he needs food, he needs rest, and is able to help him with that. Or Job, with everything that he is facing, everything he's going through, all of his losses. And he says in Job chapter 6, verses 2 through 3 and 14, in chapter 7, verse 11, he talks about he is vexing about just the anguish from within his soul. That, that he said, he just felt, that he said all of this weight, all of this anguish he's dealing with, it felt like the weight of all the sand on the sea. That he just felt that weight upon his soul. Just different ways that, that people might look at today and say that, that would describe, let's say, symptoms of anxiety or depression. And as we look at these different people in Scripture that are real people, at real points in history that dealt with these things, so we see that you are not the first person or the person you know is not the first person to deal with anxiety or depression. That you or this person are not alone in this struggle. That there have been others who have gone before you. There's others around you that can support you and be with you every step of the way. So we see other people in Scripture have dealt with mental illness. And the fourth truth that we'll see is this, is that God can heal through natural and or supernatural means. That God could heal through natural and or supernatural means. So an example of natural means is that in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul is writing to Timothy. And as he's writing to Timothy, he says this. He's telling Timothy, hey, why don't, you take, uh, why don't you stop drinking water and take a little bit of wine to help with your stomach and other ailments that you're dealing with. Hey, why don't you take this as just as medicine to help you with this? So that's natural means or supernatural means that God could very much divinely, supernaturally heal us and take it all away. He absolutely could do it because he's God. He, he can do whatever he pleases. And just a few examples you see that I've put in there is, is Matthew 9, 1 through 7. So that was the same passage we said at the beginning about the blind man, how it wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin. And that Jesus supernaturally healed him, that, that he put some dirt on his eyes and said, hey, go wash your face. And he did that and he's able to see again. Or in Luke 8, 43 through 48, where it talks about this woman just with this bloody discharge that she's faced for 12 years. And that she paid all these physicians, they weren't able to help, but as soon as she was able to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she was completely healed. Or in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, this leper that came and said, Jesus, if you are able to heal me, if you're willing to heal me, he says, I am, and touched him, he was immediately healed. That, that Jesus very much, that God could very much supernaturally heal us and take it away. That could be part of his will if he desires. But the thing is, God has given us both natural means to be able to care for that too. He's given us medicine to help us with some of these. And so just here's just some natural medicines that, that people could use that if you are dealing with this or if you know someone that's dealing with anxiety and or depression, here's just some natural medicines to help. One, as silly as it sounds, is the gift of laughter. Is the gift of laughter. In Proverbs 17.22, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine. Or another natural medicine is just being in nature and out in the sunshine, being able to be outside, be in nature around us. For some, when they deal with anxiety or depression, it's hard for them to tackle so many things at once. So maybe you limit your work to what you can do healthfully and break up your day into smaller portions. Or it could be you just, you just have a regular schedule. You just have a routine. That you set up a routine for yourself. You know what to expect when. They're able to handle that. 
Another part, rest. You need rest. You need to sleep. You need to have rest to recharge your bodies. Eating a healthy diet. And also just as simple as celebrating little victories. What do I mean by that is let's say maybe, uh, as I said, if you have trouble sleeping, you might not be able to sleep till 5 or 6 in the morning, and all of a sudden, next night you're able to sleep at 2 or 3 in the morning. I mean, that's a three-hour difference. That's a little victory. Maybe one day, you or the person you know, they, they weren't able to shower or take care of this task, and the next day they're able to take care of that task. Hey, that's a little victory. You want to celebrate those. Here is just kind of some, if you will, supernatural medicines. What I mean by that is just things that we can do as Christians help us with this one is just recount all of god's promises in scripture is it's not and i'm not saying it's wish fulfillment we're saying okay if i say this and all of a sudden boom this wish is going to fulfill like a genie but like just us recall promises that god tells us in scripture like for example isaiah 40 28 through 31 that we just read that if we will hope in god that if we will wait on him that if we'll put our trust in him he will renew our strength or we see, let's say in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, would you give us this day our daily bread? Just give me enough strength for today. Or we see later on in Matthew, hey, don't worry about what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow already has enough worries of its own. Just cling to what is today. Worry about what is today. Another one is, I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's prayer. Is, is to bring all of these before God is to bring all of our thoughts. As we saw, those biblical characters, those, those people in Scripture, they were very honest about God. We saw Elijah saying, look, I, I, God, I'd much rather die than deal with all of this. Is you can pray to God and be totally honest before Him. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it talks about, hey, cast all of your anxieties, all of your cares onto the Lord. Why? Because He cares about you. A beautiful way you can do this is using the Psalms as just your language back to God. You want to talk about people that wrestled just with anguish, people that wrestled with difficulties, that would have mountaintop highs and valley lows. Just read through various Psalms. And you'll see one moment, they're saying like, Lord, you, you are my rock, you are my strength, you are, you are awesome, you're incredible. And the next, they're like, God, where are you? Like, my tears are the only food that I have. Like, where have you gone? Where are you go? I just feel like all these people are mocking me and surrounding me. I, you just feel distant. That we can use even the Psalms. That Think about this. We can use the inspired word of God to be able to pray back to God himself that inspired the same word. So there's just some ways that we can bring this before God. So again, God gives us natural and he gives us supernatural means. Again, God gave us some natural means to address different matters of this, like taking medicine. Like taking a prescription does not mean you have a lack of faith. Again, we, we wouldn't use the same type of mentality towards someone maybe that's taking medicine for diabetes or heart disease. Or, or someone maybe that goes through chemo to help them with cancer. Or has stints that are put into their heart. We, we wouldn't look at them differently in that sense. And again, God could choose to supernaturally heal all of your mental illnesses. He is God and He is sovereign over all of that. And, and, it's, and it's not selfish to bring that before Him saying, God, would you? If you could, would you take this away from me? And continue to cling to him and turn to him in the midst of all of this. But here's what I also want you to know. Here's another truth that I want you to hear. That regardless of whether or not you or the person you know is healed through natural means or supernatural means. Or maybe possibly not even healed at all. Your anxiety and depression does not define you. Okay? Your anxiety and depression does not 
define you. Jesus is the one that ultimately defines you. And he says you are loved. He says you're not alone. He says that he is enough. That he will not leave you nor forsake you. That he's with you every step of the way. That his grace is sufficient. That he can be our rock that we fall on when, when all else fails. That he is the rock we can build our house on no matter what storms we face. That we will not be shaken. So God could heal us through natural and or supernatural means. The fifth truth we see is this, is that mental illness could be for a season or it could be for a lifetime. Mental illness could be for a season or it could be for a lifetime. And so what I want us to look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We see Paul addressing at least the lifetime part of this, where Paul's talking about like, hey, he had this thorn in the flesh, and he is pleading to God, would you remove this from me? And so this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." So, so Paul dealt with this thorn in the flesh. And for many of us, mental illness might be this thorn in our flesh that we are pleading to God to remove to us. That we are pleading to God, would you take this from me? And it might be that in God's sovereignty and his will, that this is just the cross that we bear for our entire lives. That maybe that's the cross that we bear. Regardless of whether it's for a season, though, our entire lives, the truth remains the same. His grace is sufficient. He is more than enough to be with us every step of the way. In fact, in Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That if we are in Christ Jesus, we have the unlimited resource of heaven. We can never exhaust the resources of God. Whether it's for a season or for a lifetime, He is enough. And He's with us every step of the way. His grace is sufficient when our anxiety and depression seems the darkest. His grace is sufficient when it feels like our mind is constantly under attack. His grace is sufficient even in the midst of a panic attack. His grace is sufficient on days where we don't even feel like getting out of bed. His grace is sufficient regardless of what we go through. His grace is sufficient. Whether that's through a season or a lifetime. And the last truth I want us to see is this. Jesus walks with you. Jesus walks with you. That we see several different these truths that you see in your notes. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That I, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they comfort us, even in the midst of this, that he prepares a table in the midst and before our enemies. 
We're in Psalm 34, 18 through 19 that says, The Lord is near and close to the brokenhearted. Or in Psalm 139, 1 through 12, literally David's saying, where can I even go to escape your presence? I could go to the highest highs or the lowest lows. I could go the farthest west or the farthest east. I could make my bed in Sheol. It doesn't matter. You are there. It says that even, even when I was in the midst of all this darkness and I thought there's no way the darkness is going to cover me. It says even the darkness is not dark to you, Lord. That Jesus is with you every step of the way. In fact, we see this truth in Scripture. Here's just a couple of them. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, this is what it says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, talking about Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that is you and I. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That Jesus took on flesh and walked in our shoes. We see this just a chapter over. In Hebrews 3, 14 through 16, where it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That Jesus understands. Jesus has, think about this, Jesus has walked in our shoes. And so because of that, he is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses and all of our struggles, yet without sinning. And that his grace is sufficient because of that, we can cling to that and come before God with confidence and bring all of these before him. Again, the Lord is near even when he feels like he's so far away. Even when it seems so dark in our minds, it's not dark to God. Jesus will meet you wherever you are at. Doesn't matter how dark the place is, doesn't matter how deep the place is, no matter how far off you feel like you are from God, you are never outside the reach of his gracious, eternal, loving arms. We're never outside that reach. We worship a God who walked in our shoes, faced what we face every day, and can empathize with us. And then what I want to see is this, is in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a witnesses like a Moses, like a Hannah, like, like a Job, those that have gone before us and faced these same things too, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So think about this. Jesus did not just save you, put you in this race, and then say, all right, see you in heaven. No, no, no. He saved us, and he said, I'm with you every step of the way. And you're also alongside other believers that are running with you every step of the way. That it's not about winning the race. It's running the race together with endurance. 
That Jesus saved you, put you in this race. He's with you every step of the way on the good days, the bad days, the great days, the awful days, the mountain highs, the valley lows. And then he's waiting for you at the finish line at the same time saying, well done, good and faithful servant. His grace is sufficient. His grace is more than sufficient. So how does the gospel respond to this question? How does the gospel respond to anxiety and depression? That again, anxiety and depression is a result of the sin of Adam, not our own personal sin. Now very much we can make sinful choices and fall into that, but overall it was a result of the fall of man. Here's what also the gospel says. You are not less of a Christian for having anxiety or depression. You are not sub-Christian. That your identity is found not in your mental illness, but in Jesus Christ. That your mental illness does not define you. Jesus does. And again, Jesus says you are loved, that you are not alone, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he's with you every step of the way, and that his grace is sufficient. And that your strength does not come from you holding yourself all together, that you're holding yourself together, but it's on Jesus holding you. And that if you are in him, he will never let you go. That if you are in Christ, he will never let you go. That mental illness does not make us sub-Christian. It does not disqualify us from the gospel. But it could honestly be the very thorn in the flesh that drives us deeper into the grace of God. That it deepens our relationship with Christ and can be used powerfully by him to point others to him. I want to end on just this passage. It's in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, where it talks about how it's him, the one that is holding us, and he will never let us go. And let this be an encouragement for you. This is what it says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No matter how great your anxiety or depression is, no matter how, no matter how awful it might seem some days, it does not pluck you out of the graces of God. That, that might be the very thing that, again, drives us deeper into His grace, strengthen our relationship with Him, cling to His cross, and helps us grow more in our relationship with Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are just so thankful for your grace that is all sufficient. We thank you for just how you can strengthen us in the midst of this. We thank you just for modern medicine that you've given us. We thank you just for all of these things. And I just pray, would you just remind us that that mental illness is, is not what defines us or anything that might ail us is not what defines us, but Christ is where we place our identity in. Christ is the one that defines us. Christ is the one where we draw our strength from. And he is holding us even when it feels like we just might be falling apart, that he is right there with us every step of the way. I pray for everyone in here. That, that maybe we are the ones personally dealing with this, or maybe we know of a loved one that is dealing with this, would you just give us the grace to go to those people and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them? Would you just help us be understanding for them? Would you help us, as Galatians 6.2 says, bear their burdens with them and be with them every step of the way? I pray for anyone maybe in this room themselves that might be dealing with this. Would you just show that you are near? Your grace is enough. That you're near those who are brokenhearted, near those who are suffering. To remind us that, Jesus, you have walked in our shoes. 
You have faced all these things yet without sinning. And so by your grace, would you help all of us continue to cling to the cross so closely? You'll help us continue to grow more in our relationship with you. That even in the midst of suffering, we can cling to you, grow closer to you, and be just a testament to your grace and how sufficient it is. So Jesus, we thank you for all of this. We pray all of this in your holy, perfect, powerful, precious name we pray. Amen.